A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I'm really excited to be speaking with Tim Staub, who is CEO of Locust Performance Ingredients. Tim joined Locust in 2020 after spending many years doing some really innovative and startup-focused companies in the biotech and other spaces, and a lot around chemicals and chemistry. So we're going to be talking about Locust, innovation, how Tim got into this business, and more. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Victoria. Absolutely. So you have had a really varied career across chemicals and materials. So how did you get into this space? And then what's been the key themes about it? Well, so a couple things. One is I have strong views, which gets me fired once in a while. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> I'm being a little coy, but in this industry, companies go through this valley of death and you find out at the back end of the valley is not a gentle incline. It's Mount Everest. It's a sheer cliff. And if you're not a mountaineer or you don't have a team of mountaineers with you, it's really hard to scale that cliff. So this is my seventh startup. Wow. I started my career initially with 3M Company and then went back to business school and went to work for Monsanto. And while I was at Monsanto, I became director of forestry biotechnology and was one of the folks, I don't want to take credit for it because others did a lot more work, but I was one of the folks who started a company called Arborgen, which is now the world's largest forest seed company. I went from that to another large company, Olin Corporation, which then spun into Arch Chemicals, which was after I left, was acquired by Lanza. And it was awful. Not that Olin was awful. But going back to a large company after having this entrepreneurial experience with Monsanto was really difficult for me because I had the bug. I mean, I saw how passionate I could become and how much fun it was to work on something innovative and interesting and new age. And, and I just made the decision to pivot. And that was in uh, October of 2000. I've not looked back. I've done a lot of varied things. I ran a paint company for a few years. And then I went back into forestry biotechnology with a company in British Columbia, which was later acquired by Arbogen. And then I bought a manufacturing company and sort of semi-retired for a while, trying to hunker down in Richmond, Virginia and raise my kids. Yeah. And that also was awful. Even though it was entrepreneurial, I wasn't in a team. It wasn't high tech. It wasn't chemistry. It wasn't biotechnology. And, and so I came back into consulting mostly out of sheer boredom and found my way back in the industry. That was 11 years ago, 2011. Huh, that's fascinating. So yes, so you needed to get back uh, into the team environment and into maybe a more creative environment. Huh? Is that what you see with biotech is the creativity? It's innovation. So when I was at Kellogg, when I was getting my MBA, everything at Kellogg is team-based, you know, so I can't recall, but it's too many years ago. There was a group of three or four of us 
And we tried to pick a topic that was just mundane, you know, because we were busy. We wanted to write an easy paper. It was an industrial economics course. So we picked polyethylene. Not so boring. (laughs) Well, I didn't realize that. I thought commodity resins. I mean, how complex could this be? Supply, demand, cost curves, you know, average cost. I thought this is a kind of a slam dunk. I'll be able to do this while I'm doing all my other work. And it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating because what it taught me is, I mean, I went all the way back to when the predecessor to BP, I think it was ICI, I can't remember, had the first reaction. There was an accident where it polymerized overnight because they weren't keep watching what was going on and then studied linear low density and low density and high density. And, and what I realized is the companies that thrive in that space and in general in the chemical industry are the innovators. It was the inventors of the technology and the, and the companies that then further innovated that technology to create competitive advantage. And that fascinated me. And that is what brought me into the chemical industry. I, I initially had a job. I accepted a job with General Electric. They hire 10 MBAs a year. They start with 900 and then they run you through the gauntlet and they end up hiring 10. And I had one of those jobs until I met a guy from Monsanto. And Monsanto just swept me off my feet. And I literally, from the president of Monsanto Chemicals office, called the VP of HR for General Electric and told him, I've changed my mind. I'm not taking your job to go work for Monsanto. And it was the best decision I ever made. That's pretty cool. Uh, That's pretty cool. And, And I think, you know, I think there's always these serendipitous moments, right, in our lives that we make decisions that take us on a path. And It sounds like it's been a good path for you. Oh, I've had many of them. I could go on and on because it really, this opportunity with Locus, I was consulting, which is what old guys do when you don't have a job, you know. I was consulting in the industry and I had clients all over the place. I was working in contract manufacturing fermentation. So I was helping companies in in San Francisco and Boston and Raleigh-Durham and San Diego find places to manufacture things, basically guiding them through that valley of death. And I was at a conference in Des Moines, Iowa, and a guy that worked for me at that company I mentioned in Canada 22 years ago called my name. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I turned and and there's Paul. And he introduced me to Andy Lefkowitz, who is the chairman of the board of Locust Fermentation Solutions, the holding company that sits over Locust Performance Ingredients. And that Thursday, we had a cup of coffee, and they told me what they were doing with modular fermentation, which we'll get to, that I had to see it for myself. I'm from Missouri. Show me. (laughs) I jumped on a plane and came to Cleveland the following Tuesday, and Wednesday, I was working for him as a consultant. We started this company from scratch, just an idea, and launched it commercially 11 months later. That's pretty fast. That's really fast. Well, that's what you can do. I mean, we just signed this big Dow deal that's out in the press, a global deal with Dow Chemical Company in home and personal care. We're going to have a, our first commercial facility operational in Ohio in August. Normally, when you build a large manufacturing facility, it takes 24, 36 months. But with modular fermentation, we can build in six to nine months anywhere in the world where there's water and electricity. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So let's come back. What got you hooked into, so, you know, you've already said that you were consulting with Locust, but 
you know, something makes you come out of retirement or um, jump into a CEO job, right? So that is not for the faint of heart. What is it about Locus and Locus Performance Ingredients that captivated you? And what's really unique about what they're doing in, in the market? So the first hook was the technology, you know, just the, the ability to scale modularly, to add capacity as you need it, when you need it, and not go build. I worked for Green Biologics. We built a 32,000 ton plant in Little Falls, Minnesota to produce biobutanol and, and bioacetone. And then we had to wait for the market to catch up with us. And, you know, it's a high burn rate and it takes a lot of capital to survive. And ultimately, Green Biologics did. And I had left by then, but the company failed. That plant is now with, what do they call themselves? They were white dog labs. Super brewed food, I believe is what they call it. But they're making a food protein facility out of that. But I've seen this happen over and over again in the industry where in order to get your economies of scale, you've got to go, just like in the chemical industry, scale comes with size and it drives your unit cost, but you got to get the volume. And in this industry, in the biotech, in the industrial biotech industry, there's only two ways to do that. One is to cut these terrible deals called offtakes. Like they're doing us a favor by off-taking our product, all this amazing technology that we've been working on for decades, and they're doing us a favor by giving us an off-take, or you got to save a bunch of money or raise a bunch of money to survive that period of time that it takes to get to break even. And with modular fermentation, you don't. You can add it as you need it. You get to break even very rapidly, and then you can, you can fund your growth with non-dilutive capital called debt. So it's kind of a wonderful thing. And I'm a P&L guy. I'm not a microbiologist. I'm not a chemical engineer. I hang out with them. But, you know, I walked through that facility and I saw dollar signs because I saw the ability to get to break even very rapidly. But the other thing that I saw was that spark of teamwork. You know, I interviewed a bunch of folks and basically selected three or four of them to be part of my team, my original team. And Andy gave me the freedom because of our structure. We have this holding company structure and these six operating companies underneath the holding company to run my own show and to build the team my way. And so we've really put a lot of energy and effort into our core values, what our vision is, who we want to be, what our BHAG, I don't know if you've heard BHAG, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal. And it's a phenomenal team, you know, that was really what got me, you know. Interesting. I was thriving as a consultant, because it's a unique space that I was in, this contract fermentation, it's complex because you've got to put the pieces of puzzle together. Nobody has the DSP. You know, you got to find somebody who has the fermentation scale, and then you got to find somebody who can do the final steps. And it's like putting a puzzle together. And, and I'm kind of a connector in that space. I know everybody. This is kind of my swan song. You know, I'm, I'm, I, this is it. This is my last run. And I'm going to enjoy this until I'm ready to go do something else. I'm never going to retire, Victoria. I'm just going to do something else. Well, it sounds like you've tried a couple times and you've failed at retirement. So you have to just keep finding your next swan song. It's true. I can play golf, but I find it excruciatingly boring. I like the company, but I don't enjoy, you know, and I'm not wired for sun, as you can tell. Yeah. You know, it's I have ideas on what I'm going to do in my next life, but it's retirement is not for the faint of heart. 
No, not at all. So I think it's interesting you talk about the scalability because scale has been a real issue across all the biotech and biosurfactants, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, it needs to be more than a niche play because the customers, whether they be consumer products companies or industrial institutional surfactants companies, they need that scale to satisfy their current their customer requirements and their demand requirements and meet their own sustainability and other green goals. So, you know, so scale is, is definitely a huge issue in this industry. And as we go through this process of greening the chemical industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, you know, you're, you're leading or you have reminded, you know, the other really key thing that hooked me on the chemical industry and then brought me into industrial biotechnology is collaboration. You know, the more complex an industry is, the more complex technology is, the more critical collaboration is. The only way to get through that valley of death is to have a lot of friends to show you the way. Otherwise, you're a corpse in the middle of the desert or on the side of a cliff. And we can never forget that it's about them, not us. Our job is to make our customers successful. And the one of the difficulties with biotechnology is we often get so caught up in our technology that we start to think it's about us. And it's never about us. It's always about solving pain points, solving problems, helping customers bring new technologies to market, helping them build competitive advantage. And, you know, we started all this thinking originally that we were just going to, our surfactant is so efficacious that you could just use less of it. So our original value proposition was just take this out, put this in a lot less and will be cost competitive. And we've learned that that's not our real value proposition. Our real value proposition is not just the performance of the formula, it's the overall cost of the formula because this isn't a drop in. You got to start all over again. You got to reformulate. You know, you got to create a formula that does whatever it is your existing formula does, equal to or better, but then make it sustainable. Yeah. That's interesting because one of the challenges, you know, I've seen throughout my career in chemicals and now, you know, both in the industry and as a consultant is this commitment and willingness to be able to get your customers to reformulate with your product, right? That, because everybody wants the quote unquote drop-in and those drop-ins, you know, unless you can create some other alternative values. And I think there is value that's created elsewhere in that entire customer experience, You've got this view of, well, either it's a drop-in or I, the formulator, have to do a lot of work to make your product work for me. How how did you overcome that hurdle? Because it is a hurdle to get companies to formulate with your product. It's a great question. So the first thing we did was we collaborated. We collaborated with some large companies and we collaborated with a formulation lab or two, actually two. The second thing we did is we built our own laboratory in Richmond, Virginia. So we have a very sizable, very expensive lab, partly focused on formulation. So we created formulary guides like others do in the industry. And we we started from scratch and we looked for other bio-based products like Brontide. We came up with a really great um, micellar water makeup remover with Genomatica, with their, with their Brontide product. So what we're trying to do is not just bring our ingredient in and say, hey, look at how great this is, but bring a solution in that says, here's a starting formula. You know, you're giving them 
breadcrumbs is what Greg Smith, my VP of sales and marketing calls it. You're giving them something to start with and you're showing them the way. But the interesting thing is because of the 1,4-dioxane issue and to a lesser degree because of some industry concerns with the black eye that they get with palm-based chemistries, they're already reformulating. So our timing is perfect because we're bringing in a new opportunity. And what's interesting about our sporolipids is that they're multifunctional. So even though the original value proposition isn't quite a fit, current value proposition is a great fit because you can knock out two or three surfactants with one Sephora lipid and then build around that with some other bio-based ingredients and end up with a product that outperforms your product. And we did it with that micellar water. We went right up against the leading standard. I don't think it's appropriate to call them out by name, but Google it. You'll know who we're talking about. It's the leading standard for micellar water and we blew them away. We outperformed on every single test that we went up on. Interesting. So this is actually a good segue into this recent deal that you talked about with Dow. So, you know, on the one hand, it sounds like you've got a product that can reformulate and knock some existing products out of a formulation. And then you've recently announced a deal with Dow to distribute um, your products. How did that deal come about and what does it mean for you guys? Well, it's huge for us, um, and it's part of what I do for a living, you know, because when I came into industrial biotechnology, my real focus was business development. So I'm a, I'm a strategic thinker, you know, I don't want to overring that, but I looked at everybody in the industry. I mean, I dissected the industry and looked at their product offerings and looked at how they went to business and looked at the size of their sales forces and looked at how many laboratories they had and what their formulation capabilities were, and I had a scorecard. And I went through, I mean, if you can think of them, I assure you, I looked at them. And then I narrowed it down to about six or seven that I thought were top candidates. And I reached out and I started courting. Others saw problems early. Dow saw opportunity. And so to their credit, they helped us immensely by guiding us. You know, can you improve the clarity? Can you reduce the odor? They didn't give us solutions to do that, but they asked, could we make these improvements? And we went back and made those improvements based on their feedback and, and our ability to demonstrate to them that we knew what we were doing technically and that we were competent and that our manufacturing capabilities were able to you know, pivot and address the issues that they raised was very significant in terms of the confidence that they had in our relationship. It took, it took uh, 18 months. You know, this was not an overnight thing, but it is... I don't want to put words in their mouths, but it is absolutely a collaboration. It's very transparent. We're very open with it, with one another. We are manufacturing product, but we're putting Dow's name on the label. So this will be a Dow, you know, ultimately will be marketed as a Dow product to our specification. And then the structure of the deal, Victoria, is that they are our exclusive partner globally in home and personal care. So we continue to pursue collaborations in paints and coatings in the case market and textiles and metalworking fluids and agricultural adjuvants and in other locations. But but this is a pretty big opportunity for us. Now we have to keep up because Dow has seven or eight labs around the world and quite a few sales folks and superb distribution to get after those smaller accounts. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, interesting. So this is a global deal. So this is going to create a global footprint for Locust PI's products. Yes, it is a global deal. 
And we were already global. We've already been working with distribution in Europe. We've been working with distribution in Asia Pacific. We've been sampling companies in Japan and Korea and, and Thailand and Malaysia and Indonesia, Australia. So we're pretty well connected, but we don't have the resources or the outreach or the logistic skills or the regulatory skills that Dow has. So being in a partnership with a company that has the resource base that a company like Dow has is meaningful. You know, we can speed dial them and get some awfully good advice and avoid making mistakes early. So it's an interesting David and Goliath challenge in the sense of how do you, how do you not lose? You know what I mean? So I think there's always a risk, I think, with when we talk about these majors and being a small startup and doing business with a major and, and it can be awesome, right? And it's a huge, fantastic opportunity. It can also be a little bit of a scary opportunity in the sense that you can get lost in that deal and not be able to stay true to your own business objectives, core values, et cetera. How do you ensure that Locus PI does not lose sight of who it is and what it's about in the context of a bigger deal with a a major company who has its own really strong brand and sense of identity, et cetera? That is a wonderful question. And I'll answer it in two ways. One is collaborations are not feel-good exercises. You know, it's all about written goals. It's all about expectations. It's all about trust. And that requires a lot of communication. It's a wonderful relationship. I think it's a relationship of deep mutual respect and trust. We can do things that Dow can't do. And Dow can do things that we can't do. And we hold each other accountable and we talk frankly. And, you know, but there's also a contract behind this. And there are specific performance requirements in the contract for both of us. There is a governance structure built into the, to the contract. So this is what I mean by collaborations aren't a feel-good exercise. I mean, this is, you know, it's like teamwork isn't about feeling good. Teamwork is very process-oriented. It's all about, you know, the goals of the, of the company and how you cascade those goals and how you link accountability to roles and responsibilities. And I love teamwork because I'm a process-oriented guy. It's totally process-oriented, but folks who don't believe in teamwork don't see that. They just see it as, you know, just do your job, go, you know. But the other thing I would say, Victoria, is this is not our only collaboration. It's our only public collaboration. Sure. So we have other collaborations and others in the work, but others that we haven't announced because they're not ready. I would say outside of Locust Performance Ingredients, our sister companies in Locust Agriculture, for example, has a great relationship with a company called Blue Source, which is a big global carbon trading company. And our bioenergy group has a deep relationship with a company called Credence, which is the largest distributor in the Bakken's. Um, so this is our model, basically, is, you know, sounds a little cutesy and it's not meant to, but our job as Locus is to innovate and then bring it to market and validate the value proposition, validate what the price point is, figure out what our cost of manufacture is going to be, understand what the margin spread looks like and what scale does to bringing down that unit cost of goods sold. And then collaborate. So it's innovate, validate, collaborate. Find a big partner who can get you into the market sooner and pull that discounted cash flow back to day one so that we're driving the net present value and really driving shareholder value. And then pivot, rinse, repeat. Got it. 
Interesting. So, I mean, I'm assuming you guys are still going to continue going to market on your, or will you primarily go to market through partnerships? I and I, for example, is excluded from the Dow deal. At their request, I might add, we would have loved to have seen it in there, but they're just not big in I and I. That's not their core focus. Metal working fluids, I mentioned. Paints and coatings is a big one, particularly dispersions. It's a really great wetter and a good dispersant, um, the Sephora lipids. Agricultural adjuvants, you do need regulatory. You know, you got to get EPA FIFRA to be in that market. And so we're working on that. But that's of particular interest to us because we think it's a long story. Again, I know I talk too much, but the micelle size of Sephora lipids affects its ability to perform. And so, you know, we think that there are unique applications in things like metalworking fluids or agriculture where we can bring additional value to the marketplace. You know, when you zoom in on any piece of metal with a microscope, what looks smooth is actually a mountain range. It just depends on scale, right? And the same is the same is true with leaves. It's not a flat surface. So if you can get down into nooks and crannies and help that wetting allow the active ingredient, the fungicide or pesticide or whatever it is, to perform more efficaciously, then you have a value proposition. And those are the things we're looking into. We're looking into water treatment, for example, industrial water treatment. There's just a range of opportunities. And at some point, you just got to step back and prioritize and then pick them off one at a time because it can overwhelm you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's an interesting thing. So as a new company, and you've obviously got a lot of heritage in big companies and you've been in industry a long time, but I think as a new company, you have an opportunity to do business differently, right? So I think so often we say, well, that's just what our business process is. That's how we go to market. That's what we do. And it affects really what the customer experience is, what your supplier experience is, what your employee experience is. So are you guys taking a different view? How maybe are you taking a different view in particular on the customer experience and customer value and how you engage and support those customers? That's another great question. So, you know, that validation step is really important and you never really leave. You just play a different role. So you think about Dow, for example, you know, Dow's a big company and they follow the old McKinsey Pareto kind of thing, you know, or probably I'm making this up, but, you know, 20 companies generate 80% of their profit and the rest of the industry they send to distribution. And there are all kinds of different distributors, as you well know, and some are really, really good at innovating and showing technology and others are basically melting it and make their rounds. And, you know, here's the 27 products that I can sell you today. We're really focused, and we're really focused on the early innovators, the early adopters, anyone who can formulate, basically, the formulation labs, the contract manufacturers, the co-packers, we call them, those indies, the small brands that, you know, you can launch a brand on Amazon and be a millionaire overnight in some of these cases. That's where all the innovation, the early innovation takes place. But we're also innovating with companies, with large companies, most of whom are under NDA. But, you know, these are the brands that you see on the shelf. And those collaborations will transition to our relationship with Dow. But we're working with Dow to try to figure out how we can help drive innovation into the marketplace. What role can we play? It may not be with our own brand. It may be on behalf of Dow. But we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay out there and continue to validate and then bring it back to our collaboration to say, here's what we learned. And if Dow was on this call with us, if my friends at Dow were, were here, they, I think, would agree that we've done some 
pretty remarkable things that we brought into this relationship that has opened their eyes to what the possibilities are with this particular molecule, two molecules, but, you know, with spore lipids. Awesome. Yeah. And what seems to be a relatively short period of time. Well, that is the beauty of an amazing team, really, you know, because, I mean, I, I love being the dumbest guy in the room. I know what I can do well. I know what value I bring to the party. And most of it is strategy, collaboration, trust, and picking good people and making sure that you have true synergy so that when you put these teams together, it's, you know, four plus four equals 16. And that's where I spend a, a fair bit of my time. We're recruiting quite a few people right now. And these are really critical roles in, in bioprocessing and biomanufacturing. And it's like, I mean, I have massive network. I'm using that network. I'm not paying executive recruiters because I'm looking for, I know exactly what I'm looking for. And it's a needle in a haystack. And when we make the announcement that we found that role, you'll know I found a needle in a haystack. That's awesome. So what's next for Locust PI? Well, more of these deals, more successes in industrial markets, new markets. This would be maybe another business of Locust, you know, because we're finding out applications and opportunities in, in new areas. We're entering, for example, this would not be with support lipids because part of what I really didn't mention is that Locust, the parent companies, is really good at microbial discovery. Hmm. And these are non-GMO. We don't do any genetic modification. We're hunters. And we find these organisms that can produce the metabolites that are of interest. Or in the case of agriculture and animal nutrition, we're actually feeding the microbe. And so in, in animal nutrition, we have an organism that dramatically reduces methane production in cows. Interesting. And if you, you know, depending on who you talk to, that's like 8 to 16% of global warming comes from the emissions from cattle. So, you know, and our whole mission as a company is to get the world to zero carbon, to contribute where we can, because we're not arrogant enough to think we can do it. You know, we're not going to solve every problem, but we're 100% in this. And when we're just looking at where our technology can do the most good. So going back to Locust PI, what we're really interested now in is other biosurfactants. So in the glycolipid family, there's uh, manosurethritol, Mel-A and Mel-B. These are, they mimic human skin cells and they're particularly powerful surfactants in personal care and leave-on skin care applications. So we're scaling that now. We've got a nice organism that can produce pretty high titers of, of Mel, but the devil is in the details, right? You've got to get from you know, the trahalolipids are on our radar. That's another glycolipid. But we're also beginning to work on lipopeptides in particular. So lipopeptides are interesting because surfactant is what we really want. Right. And because these are microbes, you know, this is a, it's a bell curve. And you get bits and pieces of other things and you need to, you want to, to drive your productivity, you want to peak at surfactant. And then you want to purify it out to get as much pure surfactant as you can. So that one's probably still two or three years off, but we've got a project working on surfactant. And then we're also working on interesting um, derivatives of some of these technologies where there's only so far you can go with the fermenter. Sure. But see, this is what's interesting to me as as a guy who spent the first half of his career in the chemical industry and the second half of his career in industrial biotechnology, they're coming together. Yeah. They seem to be. 
right? It used to be over on this side, you know, the biotech world was always slamming the chemical world because they were the enemy, but they're not the enemy. You know, we're all humanity. We're in this thing together. So there's only so far you can go with a fermenter and purification. And, but now if you can react that to create a new molecule by bringing synthetic chemistry in, you can create entirely new platforms of technology. Cool. And that's what we're really after in our Richmond, Virginia lab. That's really awesome. Wow. This has been a lot. You guys are doing some great work. Oh, you should see what happens inside my head. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> well, you've shared a lot. So I really appreciate this, Tim. I've enjoyed having you here on the podcast. And I know others will really enjoy learning from you as well. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to do it again whenever you want. Absolutely. So anyway, thanks for joining the Chemical Show today. And thanks to all the listeners. And like, share, follow, and continue listening on. Thanks. Thank you. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.